3: Studio to 111 via Radio Saigon and simulcast across the country via Fog Talk Radio and later on BeFlow360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music show. I'm your host, Mike Gardner. Joins me as always, my partner in crime, the notorious Ben Florence, who will be joining me just shortly. Special little lengthy edition show here on Fanatic Radio as we have... Hall of Fame basketball coach Gary Williams on later to talk about his Hall of Fame experience and a little information and some fun tidbits you didn't know about Coach Williams. Also, Rich Peters, and our very own Ian Lutz, did some uh, investigative journalism for his show, Inside Track. And I'll have a little snippet from our track correspondent, Ian Lutz. We'll talk some World Cup, some college baseball as Vanderbilt won some knockout stage and a little fun fact that you do not know that both David Aldridge and myself currently share. But we begin today with the NBA draft. And all the festivities that went on last night, if you were a follower of Fanatic Radio, you would have noticed that Flo and I did a thirty minute draft preview.
0: Let's talk some bee And
3: so now the draft was official last night with Andrew Wiggins, as Flo called it. Uh, the first round draft pick, and if you go to BFLO 360, you can take a look at his first round grades. Wiggins for the Cleveland Cavaliers, second Canadian to be first round overall, number one overall. He'll join Kyrie Irving and company, Harrison Vergeau, among others, with, uh, Dave Blatt, new head coach from McAlee Tel Aviv from the Euro League as uh, B. Flo joins us now. Your thoughts on the draft? You were right with the number one pick. You were right with a lot of these picks. And according to your uh, first-round grades, a lot of A's. Not a, a very lenient, not a very
4: strict grader, Professor Flo. Well, I uh, think definitely with uh, some of the other picks, I think overall, actually, there weren't a lot of really terrible picks. And I think the reason why that is is because this was such a strong draft. I think teams realized that they could take a guy that they liked with uh, help fill in need and, uh, and really to not go that wrong because it was such a strong class. I think at the top, uh, I did nail, because it wasn't that hard to nail, the first two picks. Cleveland ultimately made the right decision going with Wiggins. Milwaukee went with Jabari Parker. uh he went with Envy which it was. It was something I, I really thought about with Envy. I thought he was going to go three or he was going to go six, and but I really think that Philadelphia. What I like that they're doing, and I'm actually working on my team grade right now. A lot of people are like, "Well, who's going to be playing for them next year?" And my my opinion on it is, who it doesn't matter. They're not playing for next year. They're playing to their, what they're trying to do, and what I really like. Sam Hinkie's a very smart guy. He comes from the Dale Morris system, and then Dale Morris shares a city with a franchise called the Houston Astros that did what they did, that they completely burned the house to the ground, got a lot of picks, and tried to build it up. And now they're looking at there That there's a really cool story and in Sports Illustrated about Saying that they're going to be the 2017 World Series champion. I think Philadelphia, sure, they took another center that's not going to play this first year, not likely to, but they also took, in my opinion, the most talented player in this draft. So, And I think, and I think just for a lot of the early picks um, were really good jobs. Uh, I didn't see Aaron Gordon going, going to Orlando, for example, but I thought that was a really good pick because I liked uh, Gordon a lot. I didn't see X going to Utah. That was a really good pick. I could have seen uh, Smartville, Boston, Randall, L. A. Um, in fact, all in all, there really weren't that many picks I didn't like, and there were only two picks that were that were X. So I think all in all, and what I was th- what I thought was going to be a wild and crazy first round actually was. Uh, Maybe it's still a fun first round, still a deep, very deep draft, but maybe not as off the wall as we thought they would be. At least I did. Many, many, many
3: experts are saying that Marcus Smart was going to give uh, Rondo a number. Can Marcus Smart play the point?
4: Marcus Smart, I believe, is a point guard. The thing is, I uh. think that I do think that uh, this is basically a pick. Uh, they're preparing for Rajon Rondo ultimately move, which I think is the right decision. I don't know what the future holds for Rondo and Boston, so I think they, they took uh, perhaps the best player on the board, a really good player really play that I like a lot, and I think that ultimately they'll try and move Rondo for some other assets to give around Brad Stevens. Um, but uh, I think it was a really good figure. I could have seen him going. So, uh, we've Randall
3: met... Rondo oh, you
4: What was that? You are what you're saying? Oh yeah, I'm just saying. You know, I, there were a few guys I thought Boston maybe could have gone with there, and I think they made a pretty good call in taking uh, Marcus Smart. So we mentioned you mentioned
3: uh, in our draft preview that the Hornets could be the team to get the big name or some good key additions. They took uh, D League D League's own P.J. Harrison and they picked up some height as well. Noah Vonley from Indiana. you happy with your Hornets selections for uh, his airness, Michael
4: Jordan? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I want to troll Charlotte fans as much as possible by trying to use uh, Hornets and Bobcats interchangeably just because, you know, I'm that kind of guy. But I think be I was kind
2: of surprised
4: that Vonley, who I had going to go in the top five, and I thought Utah liked him a lot, and I thought he could, was also could have gone to Orlando, but I think, I was surprised that he fell to nine. I think he's a great pick for Charlotte, because I thought he, Charlotte Charlotte's going to go. They're going to they go with I think a guy that could be a stretch four. Obviously, great McDermin is a big time stretch four, but I think Vonley has got that inside outside game that'll match with the tremendous post work of Al Jefferson. The Harrison pick is interesting. He was kicked off school for UNC for the bad connections he had, and all that. We know the character concerns. Now he's going back to North Carolina, of course, to North State. And maybe we could be overthinking this, but those concerns may could still be in, in play after his uh, after he eventually went to your Texas Legends. We talked about Wednesday, but I think that was a really good pick. He gives them some more perimeter shooting. Help space out the office because they were a team that didn't really have the kind of knockdown three-point shooter that could really excel and open up more room for Kemba Walker and for Al Jefferson. And I thought sometimes Christian Kristen was also a really good pick, a good value in the second. But I think Charlotte now, with the draft that they have, they could really potentially make some more – they move into that top five with the Eastern Conference. I think they do really good work.
3: Yeah, they're a team that, always, that was uh, in the hunt, made the playoffs, and looks like a team could potentially be on the rise. They have a new swagger with a new floor, a new logo, new jerseys. So far, a new face going back to the old school. Who was your favorite draft pick in terms of someone that you will see immediate results from this coming season?
4: Um, I my favorite pick. Uh, there were a lot of really good picks I liked right, right away. But I think that for possibly somebody uh, – there are a couple guys I can go with here. Actually, there are a number of guys I can go with here. I'm going to go with Doug McDermott. Chicago has moved up for trading the 16th and 19th pick, trading up to Denver uh, for McDermott. I like that move because A. McDermott fills a big need for Chicago. They, they struggled all year to score up They were pitiful at times scoring. And McDermott is a tremendous scorer and is a good guy that can score not just from a three-ball, which they sorely needed as well, but can also uh, work well in the paint, got a nice mid-range game. He's got a very, very talented, uh, rep- nice repertoire offensively. And also, what a key for them, Chicago is widely expected to be a player for
2: Campbell Anthony,
4: uh, maybe some other guys, uh, some big-name guys. This off season, and one thing that they were going to have to do was going to have to save some money. Turning the two first round picks into one first round pick saves them the money of one of the first round picks, and it also gets and, and helps them create some more cap space for somebody if they want to throw max money at a Carmelo Anthony, which I think they very well may, and probably actually probably will. So, and I think that McDermott can slide right in. Uh, be a big time, uh, be, not, maybe not a big time scorer, but can definitely be like a 15 point guy. Be dangerous in the three, uh, create more room for Rose if and when he's healthy, and Joe can mill Taj Gibson down low. So I thought that McDermott move for Chicago. I think both teams actually got the a nice haul in that deal. Them uh, and Denver.
3: Yeah, the Nuggets got Gary Harris. It could be uh, it would be helpful with uh, Ty Lawson in that backcourt. Because who knows just where the Nuggets are going to go ever since they uh, made some dramatic changes last year. My favorite pick uh, in terms of uh, immediate results, because a lot of these rookies will probably go to the D League or sit the bench, in terms of guys playing, the Phoenix Suns, I said on, on Wednesday, the Suns would, uh, could be a team that made good strides. Uh, they were the ninth, team, ninth seed just outside the playoffs picking up uh, T.J. Warren and Tyler Ennis. Well, you gave Ennis a C-minus. Of course, he is competing against Drogic and Eric Bledsoe in terms of backcourt. But T.J. Warren from North Carolina State at 14th pick wasn't a bad college player. And single-handedly carried that NC State team you know, in and out of the top 25, gave a yep. lot of the teams in the ACC tournament the run for their money. I think they made the NCAA tournament. They did. You remember he was ACC player of the year.
4: Yeah, and they had that insane game where they completely fell apart. I'm I'm forgetting against whom, but they had that really insane. Uh, I think it was second round game uh, after the because um, they were in the first four. And I forget who That's they played, right. but they had that game where they completely choked it down the stretch. It was completely absurd. But but uh, yeah, I really liked oh, against against St.
3: it was uh, against St.
4: Louis. That's right. That's what it was. It was against St. Louis. the overtime, didn't it? I believe it did. Uh, NC State, because started fouling really early, and one thing that NC State team could not do was make free throws, and uh, they just fell apart. That game was completely out of control. So <laughs> T- T.J. Warren is a guy I like a lot. I think he went a little early. I think a 14, a lottery pick, maybe a little early for him. But I think he, they needed a guy who could score a little on the wing. Little more. and while Warren is not a great shooter he really has kind of an old school old fashioned kind of game, get to the basket score down low he has a number of ways of scoring it may not be pretty but it, you know, it works he's not a great defender but he works really hard on that end and both ends and I think that was a very nice selection, you brought up Tyler Ennis and the reason why I didn't love that pick is that I thought that if, if Phoenix I think they would have been better taking a guy like Gary Harris and play a little two guard, give him more options in the backcourt than I think Ennis does because Ennis backup point I think he'll probably be a backup. He may be able to start not a great shooter. Uh he is a he is a very good player and I do like him. I didn't think that was a great fit for Phoenix. Maybe a C minus was a little a little rough of a grade, but I didn't I didn't I did not love that uh, that second first round, second, like a three first round picks for Phoenix in the uh, Syracuse guard.
5: Yeah, and
3: uh, no D's apparently on on Flo's report card. Two F's though, which I thought was hilarious. Of um, yeah. the guy from Stanford, Josh Hoistis, with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, which I agreed had no idea why they they need another forward, or it wasn't even that good on a pretty bad Stanford team. And my personal there, because Bruno there Caboclo. Oh
4: yeah, Cavalco. yeah, they did, they we're
3: a tournament team. But in terms of overall team, they were one. They sort yeah. of were on the the uh, magic, magic slipper rule, where they just wrote a wave of momentum. And then yeah. Bruno uh, Caboclo, the, uh, he's a seven-two guy, right, from Brazil.
4: No, I don't think he's seven-two. He's he's uh, he's more of like. Uh, Fran for sure oh no, that's the guy. Back. That's a
3: guy from Spain. The guy. Apparently, there's, there's a guy from Spain that the, the uh, wouldn't
4: let him yeah. into
3: the uh, the draft. He's standing outside for like 30 minutes.
4: Yeah, um, I, I think I know you're talking. I think you're talking about Nurkic, but mm-hmm. I should be wrong. But the Kaboko that has picked floored everybody because I looked at a lot of mock drafts, two round mock drafts. Pretty much none of them had him going drafted at all. Now, maybe that was they overlooked him because nobody knew anything about this kid. The only guy that knew something about him was your boy, the great Frank Priscilla, who, of course, was o- is always on the scale with the international guys. He describes the well, maybe as a Brazilian, really raw, but maybe like a third Kevin Durant. And, it, and the great line from him was that he is two years away from being two years away, which I thought was completely <laughs> great. It was an awful pick for Toronto. That was one of the worst picks of the last several years because he was a guy. I really think I don't. I think very well they could have had him with their second round pick at thirty seven or whatever their second round pick was or thirty nine. Uh, I thought that, that was a terrible pick. Now Masai Uhiri, when he's not saying F Brooklyn, actually no, what well, he is saying because that was hilarious. He's a really good personality. So maybe he knows something nobody else knows. But I thought that was an awful pick. And the Houston, the Houston pick, I thought that was awful too because the Oklahoma, they, want, they were going to want a guy to play the wing and be a defensive guy. That's all Houston can do is be a defensive guy. He's not a great shooter. Uh, Jay Bills likes him, thinks he can play, thinks he can be kind of like a Bruce Bowling kind of guy. But if you want a defensive wing, there were a lot better guys you could take than him. You could have taken K.J. McDaniels out of uh, Clemson. Tremendous defensive play. you wanted a wing guy, you could have taken Anthony early. You should have gone around there as well. Houston was with a guy probably mid to late second round. He took him around early. So, I mean, maybe it's not an awful pick. Maybe they know what he's doing. But I think it's just way too, way too early for a guy like him. But beyond that, and Kaboko, which was completely absurd. I didn't really, I didn't really hate any picks in this draft. Usually, you get a lot more head scratches than we had yet uh, last night. But all in all, I think the teams largely did not do dreadful jobs, and I guess that can be celebrated.
2: Yeah, we can.
3: Uh, especially the yeah, the idea Austin moment was uh, was legendary last night. Because the that one thing awesome. I was saying, you'd never see Stern do something like that.
4: Absolutely. I think that that was, that was really – I didn't know he was going to be at the draft because that was just – he was – here's a guy probably going to be a second-round pick. You know, solid player at Baylor um, coming to the draft. And just to have, you know, to have this condition to where he's not going to be able – he wouldn't be able to play, uh, well, if he'd be at risk of death, um, this um, condition that he had. And I thought that – I didn't know that he was going to be at the draft, which even that in and of itself, they, uh, Adam Silver inviting him, that in and of itself was re- is really cool. But to do the whole thing, the NBA drafting and that whole thing was really one of the coolest and definitely one of the most memorable things I've seen at an NBA draft in years. And the great Bruce Feldman, now Fox Sports, college football writer, said it's not that often that you see commissioners uh, getting applauded, which he was applauded last night. Usually we get David Stern, he comes up, he, he's getting food and he just loves it, yep. he has a grin and all that. And then you have Silver, but now he's going to be a guy that we're almost giving standing ovations to. That whole thing I thought was so cool and so well done by the league and the commissioner, and it really was. And I definitely think it was a really cool thing to do for Isaiah Austin. Here's the guy whose dreams are completely dashed because of um, something out of his control. And I think the way that, that House still Paul, this is the way we can at least fulfill part of his dream. I thought that was a really, really classy and awesome move by the NBA. I I, I think that was – I think it was tremendous. Tremendous on all of that. Yep, definitely, uh, definitely melts the heart
3: and makes us all think about something – Larger in life, other than Andrew Wiggins' disgusting-looking suit. But moving like forward it. with the...
5: Really? The Mariachi yeah, suit? Uh, I don't don't
3: look he you that's that's like he be reforming it like Cantina Laredo.
5: That's
3: really kind of funky. Yeah. So moving forward, trying to the NBA, a lot of these draft picks were, uh, were made to uh, overhaul franchises. Some were to adding pieces. We noticed Julius Randle with the Los Angeles Lakers is Kobe Bryant will return. Doug McDermott, your boy going to the Bulls, enhancing their uh, front court slash back court. Shabazz and Apier going to the Miami Heat. And apparently that was a person that LeBron James wanted because he wants a new Mario Chalmers because Mario Chalmers has been uh, critically abused by his teammates for the past few years, which is, <laughs> segues nicely to free agency. As we both agreed on the show that LeBron James will not leave the Heat, although he did opt out of his contract, so did Carmelo Anthony. But after listening to what Pat Riley had to say in his press conference, he's trying so hard to keep the big three together. We've already seen Tyson Chandler and Raymond Felton go to the Mavericks. But if people look into our crystal ball, who are some of the uh, the big names that could be going elsewhere?
4: I think that, you know, as, as you said, I think LeBron is staying in Miami. I think it was going to be a, long, a pretty long shot with, way for him to go anywhere else. I think the reason why he opted out was so that the team could have more flexibility in getting pieces around him. And I think that we, it was key for him to do it first, and now it's kind of like it says to wait and watch. Here's what I'm doing. I want to make the team better. Let's see what happens. Now, uh, Rick Bucher, uh, I believe a bleacher report now, he had an interesting report last night. He said the source is that, Toronto is looking to uh, sign and trade Kyle Lowry to Miami for cash and future picks, and then Bosch uh, opting out, returning to Toronto. Now, I haven't seen anything else that would be like that. I think that would be something wild to see. I think Wade is going – I don't see Wade, any, really any reason for him to go anywhere else besides Miami. I think that's, you know, the vendor, his whole career. I don't, and I don't think any, he's got the value – anywhere else that he has in Miami. I think Bosch is an interesting story. I still think he'll probably stay in Miami, but I can see why you would want to go out, test the water, sign somewhere else. Because for some reason, people just abused Chris Bosch over the years for going to Miami and being more or less the third part of the big three. I don't think it's fair at all. But, and, but I think with Bosch, I could see him trying, you know, seeing if he can get a big contract somewhere else. I don't know if he can, and I don't think he's worthy of a max. Maybe somebody will throw a max at him. I don't think he's a max player at this point. He's more or less, as I've heard Bill Simmons, a prank guy. So let's say, like a Sam Perkins now, he's, a, he's basically a power forward that all mostly shoot threes, which is fine if he can't shoot. I don't think, you know, he's not a great rebounder anymore doesn't have as much of a close game. Uh, but if you put a gun in my head right now, although this Buecher stuff uh, kind of closet, but I think if you put a gun in my head right now, I think Bosch will remain in Miami. So I think the, the big three largely will stay intact, I think. I think Bosch drew a question on that. But then I think they'll all opt out and then come back, a little flexibility, and so they can get another piece as well.
3: We said last week on the show that Chris Bosch would be the most likely guy of the big three to leave. He even said after the Spurs series that this, this year, among all the years he's been in Miami, was the biggest grind. And rightfully so. I mean, everyone was headhunting the dude. Uh, the team itself wanted to throw Miami. I could see him... Uh, it's funny you mentioned Toronto. You know, because they're, they're a team that made the playoffs for the first time since, you know, the Stone Age. And... They're back in, they're, they're, and they're just a few pieces away from being a pretty decent team, which I could see Chris Bosch. As soon as the Mavericks got Chandler, it definitely ruled Bosch <laughs> out from going back to Dallas. But yeah. he, uh, Toronto would be a good fit for him. You know, it's, he it's, they essentially started his career there, and mm-hmm. he could easily f- find a role for a very young team, uh, with DeMar DeRozan and uh, your boy that hates the Brooklyn Nets, Mm-hmm. but he is a player that I think still has some mileage on it. But Dwayne Wade is another story. Like you said, he will end his career in Miami because he's so soul. The guy is one knee surgery away from probably retiring, and you know, you don't blame the guy. But, you know, he just wasn't his self, especially for an 82-game season plus playoffs, because most likely Miami will be back if LeBron stays, which he will, because some of the rumors of him going west, he wouldn't go west. Because as we preached on this show, the East Conference is so bad. You know, it makes yep. Aaron Broome's game look good. So, it's almost like he would never leave. And that being said, some other trade rumors, uh, including uh, my boy Kevin Love going to the Celtics, could make the East a little better. But where... Um, someone, I don't know who someone was saying, but this guy was completely off the map, saying that Kevin Love, he wants to go west to the Lakers because he grew up in L.A. And, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to go east. Or he said he doesn't like being away from home with the, in the in the northwest when he grew up in Oregon. But then it's like Minnesota is in the middle of nowhere. So this guy, this guy. So Kevin Love, his choices are all over the map. Where do you see him going?
4: Uh, I think there's a I think there was a lot of smoke around a deal between the Timberwolves and the Warriors, and mm-hmm. trading uh, Love to Golden State for a package that would center around uh, Clay Thompson. Uh, David Lee, maybe throwing, in like Barnes or somebody else. And I see that there was a lot of rumors in that a trade, that kind of trade was going to be, was relatively close to being done a few days ago. I haven't heard a lot about it since. I know there was uh, maybe some hesitations about the trading Clay Thompson for Golden State, but I can very, I think, kind of love is, it. I think it put, it put, it puts Minnesota in a difficult chance. They basically have no chance of signing him. But now they're always—I mean, well, everyone could would want a guy like Love. But now they kind of have to feel it out a little bit. That
2: it's—I'm
4: not certain when they're going to be able to trade him. I think they would take the sooner the better, but it depends on what other teams do in free agency. I think Minnesota could be. They're in kind of a funky spot here, and they definitely want to get pieces back to where they can be a good team next year. So I think uh, Boston can end up seeing what happens with their picks. Uh, I think you would like to, wouldn't like, would mind going to Boston. I think you love the Golden Golden They I think those teams would probably be the favorite. And then, who knows, maybe Houston. They can fork out room. Uh who knows? The Kevin Love thing. I, I, I was, it was thinking that it was close to to uh, Golden State, but now I'm not so sure. So I think the Kevin Love thing is definitely a big thing to watch. It seems that Golden State definitely wants Kevin Love, but they're making they're trying to feel um, out and maybe a little patient with the whole thing. But definitely something to watch. A guy like him changing downs. Even
3: though we love Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Andre told Series XM Thursday that he thinks the Warriors should not trade, uh, Clay Thompson. Strangely enough, only a year difference between those two. I didn't realize Kevin Love is only as young as he is, twenty-five years old. Thompson's twenty-four. You trade Clay Thompson away, you lose everything you pretty much just built your franchise around, of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, the, the dominant lights-out shooting backcourt. Although you yep. do get a guy that is very diverse which, as a post player, the only uh, asterisk is some injury concerns, but he's cleared, up, he's cleared up most of that than, let's say, Andrew Bogut or David Lee, who both of those guys seem like they're hurt, you know, every time you flip a coin. So sure. it's almost like what, what Golden State wants to go to. they want to keep the guard play or do they want to go big? And, uh, in my opinion, long term, because they can easily find someone, you know, a free agent or whatever, that can shoot. I mean, Draymond Green can shoot threes, apparently, as we've seen in, uh, in years yep. past. But it's weird for Minnesota because the, it, the, injuries, the injury bug is so obvious in that, for that franchise because that
5: Rubio-Kevin
3: yeah. Love tandem is, is great when they're both healthy. But because they're always not, you know, it's, it's something mm-hmm. as an owner, you really have yep. to cons- think about, well, do I keep this guy? Do I ship him off for more money? Because, you know, last time Minnesota was good. I mean, Michael Ola Candy was on that team. And that's when they hit he Barnett. My goal
4: with Candy. He was a great player. What's he
3: up to? He still, what's he doing now? Just around, around town?
4: Pro- probably. I don't know. Maybe he went back to the University of the Pacific. I mean, who knows, who
3: knows with that guy? Yeah, So <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> love, Love's still a wild card. LeBron stays in Miami. I'd like to see Kevin Love go east. Uh, just because, actually, you no, know, if he so goes the east, it kind the of ruins his career. Yeah, you want them the Warriors, them. the Golden, the Golden State thing, Golden State thing could be good, but it could also really come back to haunt uh, the Warriors. But then again, they're a team that upset the Spurs and then almost upset the Clippers. And speaking of the Western Conference, a lot of those teams are wooing the New York Knicks on Carmelo Anthony. He's a, he's sort of the curious case of Anthony Car- of Carmelo. Uh, a guy that just wants to go out to a team to win a championship. Is Melo one of those guys that will make the right choice or sell himself out just to try to win more rings or win his first ring?
2: Well, I think
4: the, the Mello thing is definitely going to be interesting because you can get the money with the Knicks. Uh, they, can, uh, they have the built-in advantage of being able to pay him the most money. But the Knicks are, are not going to be a team that's a championship contender until next year, two, actually not next year, probably for a couple years, being able to get pieces to be a championship contender. Um, there are rumors that the Phil Jackson really want him back? Does they want him back? Maybe not taking a full max so they can get another piece? Or will Melo end up going somewhere like a, like Chicago? I think Chicago, or, uh, Chicago's been rumored. Uh, Houston's been rumored as well. I think Chicago would be a great fit. I think you put him on that team, you get Rhodes back healthy. You have Noah now McDermott. Uh, Tosh Gibson, Jimmy Butler, I think that's a team that could very well become a strong favorite to contend with the Heat in the Houston Conference and be a championship caliber team. I think that because of, you know, Carmelo Anthony's known for not being a great defender by any stretch. But Thomas Thibodeau is such a good defensive coach. I have a feeling that he could turn basically any, I feel like, you know, the old adage of turning lemons into lemonade. I feel really like we can give him like or, like uh, oranges, and he'll turn it into I don't know maple syrup or something. Actually, that sounds totally ridiculous. And I was trying. How do they mimosas?
3: Say to keep the. Uh... Go ahead.
4: That's right. That's right. Just a terrible joke in my end, so I apologize in advance. But I think we just that... we just
3: got a great soundbite.
4: <laughs> yes, yes, we did. They were saying well, that
3: mellow too, because they one of even why drafting Doug McDermott. People just turn him into. A, Kyle Corver, a guy who comes off the bench to shoot threes, totally erases inside game. But back, you know, uh, line up with, with Rose and, or and Mello. That before. Exactly.
2: Is that Carmelo's
4: best bet, go to Chicago? I think if he wants to win a championship next year, I think Houston, I don't think the Miami thing is feasible. I don't think that all those guys would take the significant cut. I think unless, like, sound like a Chris Bosh If Bosh leaves and then LeBron and Wade both decide to take a nice cut, then maybe they can get Carmelo, but I don't think Carmelo's going to Miami. Uh, I think Houston, I think it's interesting if they want to play him as, like, a stretch four, but I also think that he and Harlan would be a mess of a mix on the wing. I think, really, the top two contenders, in my opinion, my humble opinion, not Mm. a But I think it's either he goes to Chicago or goes back to the Knicks. I think that those are probably his two best options, probably the two best fits. But, again, does he want to win right now? Is he willing to wait? Does he want the money? Work under uh, Fisher, Phil Jackson. It's really uh, – re- the Carmelo thing is very interesting. I hope to have a, uh, a blog post coming out of the I uh, ideally this weekend. But I think that the Carmelo Anthony is definitely something – of course, to watch, but i I could really see this uh him going to Chicago. I think that would be a good fit, and I think that'd be a fun match.
3: yeah, and a lot of people would uh would love to see him sort of try to play under a good coach because other than, I think the last guy, last great coach you played with that actually actually listened and pay attention was George Carl. Obviously, the New York thing was a fiasco because you can never find a guy that was willing to. Discipline him, Tom Thibodeau, coach of the year. He has the credentials, and he has a good team, and he has his all-star point guard coming back, hopefully. Yeah. So we'll send it to co- well, we'll send it commercial break with a Fanatic Radio two-part exclusive. As the long wait is over, as now yeah. Hall of Fame basketball coach Gary Williams joins us on Fanatic Radio. It's a two-part series. The first half will be sort of a little tidbit information of. Um, Coach Williams from humble beginnings. And then next week, we'll go a little more in-depth of what Maryland's destiny is in the Big Ten. But Coach Williams, how does it feel going on the Hall of Fame?
1: It's the the highest honor you can get. It hasn't something yet, but because it's worldwide now. There's European coaches, there's European players, uh, great women's coaches, uh, immaculata college. Was inducted in. The, is going to be inducted August seventh. Also, they won four straight. What would be now the women's NCAA championships back then? the, the women weren't in the NCAA before Title IX, and for them to go in is a, a great thing for you know that part of basketball. So you're competing against a lot of different things. It's not just mm-hmm. basketball here. So it means a great deal uh, to me because you know it's 44 years of work. You know that that's, and it's not me saying. You know, I really did a good job. That's other people judging what we did, and I really appreciate it.
3: What happens when someone gets the call for the Hall of Fame?
1: They called me um, about six weeks, and they, they six weeks before they say you're nominated for the Nation of the Hall of Fame. All they said was, you'll hear on April 4th uh, between 12 and 3 p.m., and we'll call you then. You don't know you know, okay, who do I call? Who can I lobby here to try it all me here? And you don't know anybody. You don't they do a great job only at the baseball hall of fame, they do a great job of keeping the committee that votes a secret. There's twenty four voters, you need eighteen votes to get into the hall of fame. So it's April fourth. Um they say they're, they're gonna call between twelve and three. I got my phone right here at ten thirty in the morning i Got like eight cups of coffee. Phone rooms are twelve oh one. Now there's I think it was like how many people nominated really, like Twelve maybe someone had and so I think six were voted in. So my phone rings are twelve oh one. So naturally you think they're gonna tell the people who didn't make it first. I you mean know, so twelve oh one my phone rings. So I didn't want to pick it up. Pick it up and still so well, and the guy on the other end, he's head of the whole thing, he said you were in PS around, you know, surround, you know <coughs> he told me right away. So that was it. Mm-hmm. So,
3: I was a mess the whole day. It you know, was really hard. But it was great. Yeah. How did your career begin, Coach? Uh, wonder, many of the fans are wondering how does someone go from such humble beginnings like you took like coaching in New Jersey to making it all the way to an ACC powerhouse like Maryland?
1: Well, before when I started, in high, I was lucky to get a job. It was just the peak of the Vietnam War. They were taking uh, – 45,000 to 50,000 men per month into the draft, and you were in Vietnam six months later. I came out in 68, Lyndon Johnson, that it just really escalated the, the whole thing with the Vietnam War. So I got a job at Little Wilson in Camden. I don't know if any of you are from New Jersey or have been to Camden, but not a lot of people visit Camden. Um, it's a pretty place, but at the same time, it was a job and it was coaching. It was a junior varsity, coaching job and I felt very fortunate to get the job and I found out after I took the job that because of the area I was given a draft deferment which means I didn't have to go to the draft possibly go to the environment. So I appreciated that. So I was there one year, the head coach left, I got the head coaching job, we won the state championship. So that gave me some confidence that I could coach. And you know when I came to American U, I remember coming down, I was an assistant at Boston College in 77 and I was invited down to interview. I interviewed, went home, and my wife asked me how to go. I said, it was great. She said, well, that's what kind of place do you play?" Uh, I never saw the gym. You know why? Because there was no gym. We used to play our games in Fort Myer, across the Potomac. Uh, we used to have to pack up vans, towels, uh, water jugs, all those things, take them over, set up the gym, and then we could worry about playing the game. So it was, it was great because I was the Division One head coach. Uh, I was relatively young, I think I was 32, getting a head coaching job, so I didn't care. But I just did whatever I had to do to become a head coach at that point in the middle and, and the thing that taught me to get there, I had to be an assistant coach at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania for six years. But to get that job, I had to become the head soccer coach because they never had a full-time assistant basketball coach. So to get paid, I had to take the soccer job, because that, that was the money in the budget. And I hated soccer, no thanks anybody to play soccer. But back then, you're, you're talking 1971, soccer wasn't anything near what it is now. And so I had to do that. But what I learned from that, sometimes you have to do something to get to where you want to get that you don't like to do. In other words, the last thing I wanted to do was go to soccer. But I saw that as the only way, looking back, now, that's the only way I got into college coaching because I agreed to coach the damn soccer team. So I said, all right, I'll do it as soon as I can be an assistant basketball coach. So sometimes you have to do stuff like that. You know, where you, it's not a direct path all the time. You've got to go here to get to there sometimes. He's Gary Williams,
3: Hall of Fame, men's basketball coach, former Maryland and American University and Boston College, head coach here on Fanatic Radio. How different was it coaching an American considering – what it is now to what it was back then.
1: The uh, the school paper was there every day there they were good. Uh, we had the Washington Star was in business then. They would usually stay at the games, right. But not not the road games, just just the home games. The Washington Post, uh, we had a great in a guy named Mike Trillin was the sports editor, the night sports editor of the Washington Post, so I would always call him after games and he sneak us into the first page, you know, with the of the first page, if we had a good one Right. and so he's an American youth grad, he was former sports information director, so he, he did a lot of really good things for us. So the post was there, um, that, that was about it on a consistent basis, if we were good and channel, back then there was no cable, I don't think it was before ESPN, believe it or not. You get Channel Nine, Channel Four. George Michael, uh, famous uh, at Channel Four for a long time. Um, he w- he would make an effort to get somebody to our games. I always appreciated that with him. But that was about it. And it's like anything else. If you're good, you're you're in a town that's a pro town. This is a little different coaching situation in, say Syracuse, Kansas, places like that in basketball. You're in a pro town. I coached at Boston College also, and I saw it up there. With, you know, hockey's big, the Red Sox obviously are big, Celtics, favorites. you know, and then Boston College would fight to get, and it's the same thing here. You have seven pro teams within 35 miles of American U's campus. It's a tough fight uh, for American U to get exposure for the program. They had a nice year this year, they had it going pretty good and they started to get some attention, but the problem at an American U is you got to do that again next year. In other words, you don't start from where you left off, I always saw that you have to recreate that situation
3: again. How is it different in terms of the college game? You know, crew recruiting is is huge among college coaches to make sure they land that one all 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 American player. So, recruiting styles definitely a big. Uh, Hot button, especially in terms of amateurism, the NCAA is fighting. How are your styles uh, different as the years progress in your coaching career?
1: I think uh, the uh, in terms of how you try to play the game, I think the best guy out there right now who recruits, to his style of play is Jim Boeheim I at mean, Syracuse. He plays zone, which is a little different than most teams play man-to-man defense, and he likes to get those long, skinny guys to take up a lot of room in his zone defense, and uh, they're very quick with that. Uh, I, I used to like you guys that would just. I do with coaching guys that played really hard, you know, they dive in the floor and all that stuff, because I had to play, I wasn't a very good player, I had to play that way to get on the court, and so I think coaches do a better job sometimes if you get guys that play similar to you because you understand them a little better. It's hard to get a great player that doesn't work very hard, in other words, because the guy's he's got all this talent and then he won't use his talent, you know, that can drive you nuts as a coach, So. I, I I think I did my best job and I had guys that
3: felt the same way I did about the game and you know, it was a lot of fun coaching those types of people. Well, I wouldn't turn down a seven footer, was really good. What are your thoughts on the one and done, Coach? When you went was sort of a sort of an afterthought thinking that not until at least the twenty first century when guys thought, Oh, I can consistently have players go one year of college and leave. Back then, even the sort of the late 90s when we saw the Kobe Bryants and the Kevin Garnetts, the players that just jumped and went straight to the pros. Now one and done is such a common thing. Even NBA Commissioner Adam Silver wants to extend the age limit to come into the NBA at 20 years old, which would be a sophomore. What are your thoughts from a now college basketball analyst with Fox Sports? What is your thoughts on the one and done rule?
1: The problem becomes with these agents and everybody, all, all these kids here is you can get hurt if you stay in college, still one thing. If I like Jabari Parker, say he goes second in the draft, this year he might go first, but say he goes first or second, he's guaranteed 12 million dollars by signing his name. Basketball is different than football, where whatever you sign for, you're guaranteed for three years. Plus the agents tell you the earlier you go, in other words at 19 years old, instead of waiting for year 22, that's three more years you can make that type of money in your career. And so it's, it's very difficult uh, for a player not to go, and it's not the player's fault, it's the system. It's a labor breach <laughs> between the NBA Players Association and the NCAA. The NBA Players Association will not budge off the one and done thing. And that's what it's going to take uh, for that to change. I really like the baseball rule. The baseball rule is you can sign right out of high school. Okay. If you don't, and you go to college and get a scholarship, you have to stay for three years. You see, by the end of three years, you know more about yourself, how good you are, whether you're, you know, realistically, can you play in the NBA. Less than 1% of all college basketball players get to try out, not make, gets to try out for an NBA team. Less than 1%. Okay, so the odds, you know, unless you're Jabari Parker, you know, you're coming out with that. You see, I, I think kids, you know, we all make mistakes when we're 17, 18 years old. I know i made a lot of them. And, okay, I'm listening to all my guys in the neighborhood. They're telling me I'm going to be an NBA player. I'm good enough. So they changed the rule. And now I can go right to the NBA from high school. Okay, I'm Jabari Park. I go. I find out I'm not good enough. If the NCAA was smart, they would allow those kids, maybe sit out a semester, sit out a year, even if you sign with an agent, to come back, get their education, Play basketball, but have to stay for three years if they do come back. It, you know, they they expect student athletes, and that's the NCAA's term, by the way, student athletes. So they don't have to pay. You know, athletes they call them student athletes. That's you know to, to, to be in that situation is really a lot of pressure on a kid. Like he, all he hears from the people he grew up with, if he's a good player and he goes to college and you know, okay, he plays for Kentucky. So everybody expects him to be one and done now. All the AAU coaches, all those people are telling him to be one and done so they can make money off the kid. The shoe companies want him to go in case he becomes a Michael Jordan, a great player. So they're going to make a ton of money. So he's had all this pressure to leave. But ch- check out on the uh, computer sometime. There's, there's websites that list all the kids that have already declared from, from this year. See how many you recognize if you follow college basketball. I don't know. I bet there's 20 guys on there I never heard of. Mm-hmm. And they've given up their eligibility to take this gamble to go to the NBA. And People say, well, you can play in Europe. Yeah, you can play in Europe, but there's not that many great jobs anymore in Europe either because uh, European basketball has gotten better. They'd rather have their own guys playing there. So it's a mess right now. They, they, they have to change that rule. Hopefully they will.
3: This Gary Williams, former Maryland men's basketball coach, national, 2002 national champion, now going to the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame later in October now uh, looking at coaches someone who's sort of following a similar path to what you did becoming an assistant to a head coach and then turning around a program like what you did at Maryland uh, head coach Mike Brennan here at American University first year as head coach wow, a, a completely went beyond expectations on conference coach of the year was nominated for several mid-major awards entered his team in the NCAA tournament what advice do you have for him
1: I think you have to be yourself, uh, and I thought Mike did a good job of that this year. Where you you can't coach like somebody else. You might idolize somebody as a coach, but most coaches have people you really look up to. But your personality, whatever that is, has to be what's there with your team because players know if you're being a clone. Players know if you're trying to be like somebody else. They they just want you to be yourself, whatever you are. And you're not perfect as a coach. You don't say all the right things. But you do that, now that he's won and he had a great, you know, first year, he's kind of set the bar a little bit, which happens, uh, and he's, he's got a, you know, people like say they do not make the NCAA tournament the next year, people, well, what would happen? How come you didn't make the tournament when made it last year? And that's what happens once you set the bar. We won a national championship. Uh, the next year we won the Sweet 16, the year after that we won the ACC championship, and, but we didn't win the NCAA tournament so you, know, you lost your touch, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, but Mike, you know, being the first-year coach, it should give him a lot of confidence in you know, getting done. He did a great job. He should be able to, you know, he, he's got to walk out for practice, October I feeling a lot better than he did walking out his first year as a head coach here. Who'd you look up to? Uh, the guy who got me in coaching had been an assistant coach here. I do know you ever he- heard of Kermit Washington. Back here in America, he was an assistant coach with Tom Young. The guy's name is Tom Davis. Won 599 games at Boston College, Stanford, and Iowa. And uh, without him, I I wouldn't have gotten a college coaching. Plus, he taught me a lot about zones in in college basketball. I I was a man. I had a man-to-man background, and that really helped me uh, with that. Uh, So I always looked up to him. I. um, respected it. There, there's an old coach from Connecticut that I, I really gotten to know really well. His name was D. Rowe. Bal- Jim Galvana was one of his assistants in Connecticut way back. And the guy really understood the game. He's a great guy and I, I like him. But, you know, if you take it all the way back, the, the reason I wanted to be a coach uh, when I came out of high school is because my high school coach, a guy named John Smith, who just almost like a father for the team. You know, back then that happened quite a bit uh, more so than it does today. But, so there's there's people along
3: the way that, you know, you really think about, especially this whole thing that you realize without, those, without their input, you know, of this today would happen. And lastly, when did you know it was time to retire? And You mentioned uh, finding all these people you like to thank, running your speeches and everything for the Hall of Fame. When did you know it was time to uh, to retire and leave the game of
0: basketball?
1: It was hard. I mean, it was, you know, it's a little scary because that's all you ever did. Um, I, I was uh, a graduate assistant in Maryland when I was 20, I turned 23 uh, the year I was a graduate assistant, so I've done it all my life. I wasn't feeling good. I was really tired uh, from a lot of things. And if I could have had a sabbatical, like a year off, I think I'd i you am know, still be coaching today probably, but that doesn't work that way in coaching. Only professors can get that. Uh, so I, I was, you know, I'm, I, I made the decision. I'm glad it worked out. I, I thought after a while that it, uh, it was not too many Hall of Fame because I didn't have as many wings as some coaches. So I thought oh, I might have hurt myself. Not, So I never coached for that. I never coached to get into the Hall of Fame or anything. So I, I felt, you know, I would have been disappointed if I did make the Hall of Fame. So what? You know, I did what I wanted to do my my whole working career, and I was 67. It wasn't like I was even in the 50s when I was 50 years old or something. I mean, I had coached a long time, and most people, you know, retire around that age anyway. And it's it's a very tough job, especially the way I coached. I mean, I I tried to give it everything I had, and uh, I coached an aggressive style, which you know took a lot out of me. So I was really tired. I think that's the biggest reason. uh, I retired when I did, but you know you never know. You can't look back. I mean, I miss I miss practice. I miss the when the referee throws the ball up to start the game. I miss but I certainly don't miss the day leading up to uh, when the game started. That was, just, that was the hardest thing, <coughs> especially for the nine o'clock games. You know, we wake up like seven thirty and okay, and what do we do now? <laughs> waiting to win, so, probably live longer.
3: Gary Williams, former Maryland basketball coach, 2002 international champion. Now going to the hall, that was part one of our part two series. You can check out the rest of his interview and his thoughts on uh, his time at Maryland basketball when he coached uh, the franchise, Steve Francis, and Naismith winner Joe Smith, the greatest two names in basketball. Joe Smith, who I, I think Williams was like, I think he's still in the league so, a lot of wild cards with that. Uh, join us, uh, make sure to tune in, next to Radio, to listen to the second part of that interview as we'll kick it to break, where we will be, when we return, flow and I will break down the knockout stage of the 2014 World Cup as the United States miraculously advanced. We will make everyone eat humble pie that doubted the United States for going to the round of 16. And Rich Peters of Boston University is joined with our track correspondent, the notorious Ian Lutz, uh, an exclusive interview courtesy to our new affiliate Inside Track hosted by the man himself. But stay with us. you are listening to Fanatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com.
5: It's, it's
0: Fanatic Radio. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on
2: BlogTalkRadio. Talk Radio.
5: The height of just too much a rate. <laughs> I'm to have to watch it around. I think the a question I have. the world's a
3: hype for the World Cup. Don't forget you can check out the podcast on iTunes and on Flo's blog, dot 360com where you can listen to the exclusive Snack Radio, part one of Hall of Fame Coach Gary Williams' interview on how he was once a soccer coach. Should have nobody knew that except us. He used to coach uh, Lafayette in good old Easton, PA. So a little soccer segue as is a wonderful time where the World Cup is still going on. And it's a great time to be an American soccer fan because they have advanced to the round of 16, for the second consecutive World Cup, the first time ever they've done that. So it was a 1-0 loss to Germany, but of course the last time we were on the show, they had to not only face Portugal, but Das Germans, and they exceeded all expectations and are
4: moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that a lot of people, myself included, really looked at the group, which some have labeled the group of death, uh, and looked at it and thought that it would be very tough for the United States to advance to the round of 16 in the knockout rounds. Uh, you know, you have Germany with the favorites, to uh, win it all. You have a strong Portugal club led by uh, Boundola or winner, and you have a Ghana club that has been the U.S.'s nemesis. Uh, and he, and here's the thing. You look at the United States, I don't think – I think it's definitely awesome, and the ratings have shown uh, what the U.S. is doing, but I don't think they've had a game thus far where they really played great. They they played a little defensive after getting a really, really quick goal, and then rebounded against um, against the Ghanaians, against Portugal they had that they uh, put a very sound game, but had the heartbreaking goal at the end. And against Germany, they looked a little lost early uh, amidst the slop, the absolute slop. And but were able to play well down the stretch, had some really good shots uh, on the net, and looked like they may have been able. They came close to getting that equalizer and possibly getting drawn. But I don't even think the U.S. has played tremendous soccer or football, if you will, as of yet. And I think that's the thing that could really leave some people thinking, "Well, how good is this team? We've gotten through the not gotten through group play. What can we do now? We now play the." Um, I looked this up yesterday. We've got the Belgians. Yeah, we got the Belgians. A uh, chic team. That a lot of people thought would be kind of a sleeper to do some damage, but in Belgium, I had a, a, a pretty soft group, but even then, they didn't look amazing. So I think the U.S. can uh, push the action a little bit next uh, Tuesday, I believe, against the Belgians. I don't know if they can win, but I think that would definitely be a fun game to watch against a pretty solid uh, team featuring Polani and all, all kinds of uh, all kinds of great. Because well, uh, the Belgians couldn't get it done in the Congo way back in the uh the african uh
5: extra
4: uh, uh colonization period but maybe they can get a little bit get it done uh, down in uh in uh brazil
3: before we get to our round of 16 predictions and uh, preview the these games the next time uh Fnac radio will be on is the round of 16 will be over will be the quarterfinals the united states did face in 2002 So some history has been on our side. We were able to survive a very tough team. And even the way that we went out uh, to advance to the round of 16 was a very similar way as that 2002 team went. We won our first game against a a must-win, and then we tied our second game, which was then against host nation, South Korea. But for us, our second game was a, a tie, almost a win against Portugal. And then we ended up losing our last game because of goal differential, because of our good friends in the group. Yep. We are able to advance. So now it is time to go to the World Cup predictions as told by Flow to see if the soccer bug has officially been caught and bitten Flow, if his knowledge of soccer and flow, So far, looking at your round of 16, pretty spot on with the teams that were going to advance. you got all four teams which will be playing tomorrow, Brazil versus Chile, Colombia versus Uruguay, Nice job on that quadrant. We'll talk about that first because those are our first series of games. The host nation takes on Chile, Chile a Chile team that surprised a lot of people in their group, in a very mm-hmm. difficult group with defending the, uh, champions Spain and Netherlands team that will be on the other side of the bracket, that they, they face the host nations. Many are saying are shaky. Many are saying are weak. And according to our Fanatic Radio World Cup show, John Gardner said, the Brazilians, this is the time of this, start turn things around because national pride and bragging rights is on the line. Could Chile pull off up the upset, or is this where everything finally clicks for the Brazilians?
4: I think that the, Bra- the Brazilians better not um, sleep on the Chileans, because I think this is a very solid Chilean club that played well on the group stage. They did very well. And I think that the Bra- the Brazil cannot sleep on them. If Brazil plays the way that they played uh, largely through the, uh, their group, Beyond that, relatively impressive win against Australia. Very, they could be very uh, in for a very tough time against a good ch- Chile team. That's not. I don't think they're going to be afraid of. I do think Brazil is going to step up their uh, step up their game and play well. But and and I think Brazil will ultimately win. I still am kind of unconfidently sticking with them. To, uh, to win the World Cup even though I probably should st- slide on over to Argentina. We'll get to them in a moment. But I think that Brazil will advance. It will not be easy, but I think they will advance against Chile. But it will be a fun game to watch.
5: Yeah, you, did, you
3: had Brazil advancing in the b 360 uh, post in which you said a great quote of you're not that bold, bonehead, or both to pick Chile on the upset. I would not be surprised if Chile wins. They have looked very good. And if Brazil beats Chile, they'll definitely lose the next round because it's very hard. You have to face teams that you have played pretty much year-round in terms of international play. Club play is a lot different. But internationally, a lot of these teams want to beat the host nation, much like what we saw when South Korea played in 2002. that's the last. And, of course, Germany made the semi-finals as well, when they hosted it in 2006. But well, that's Europe. Everyone sets their game up in Europe. South American teams that looked great. Which leads us now to our next uh, game, uh, Columbia versus Uruguay. Columbia, a team that has been sort of the surprise of the tournament in terms of a team that was already good, and many doubted how good this team actually was. Because, let's face it. We don't get Columbia TV in the States, so we have no idea. Of course, unless we are at American <laughs> University in which you've got the Russian, German, and Italian channels for the Colombian TV. They have, they have easily coasted through their group, even without Falcone, their number one player, Alan Winsboy. Yet, they face a Uruguay team that yesterday was announced that Luis Suarez has been banned nine international matches. So, ruling really him out for the rest of the World Cup for going all Edward Cullen and biting Giorgio Cellini, a uh, Italian Aww. defender. So, Aww. now the Uruguayan... Yeah, Twilight reference. Too soon. No, come on. Too late. I got his name right yeah. too. I'm very, very shocked with myself that I knew who that was. What uh, Robert Pattinson's character <laughs> hey, name hey, was.
5: you
3: know. <laughs> he ain't no True Blood though. He ain't living <laughs> in New Orleans.
5: And that show, that's yeah, another right. show. That
3: show is a train wreck. Uruguay's out their best player, and of course, the last time they were playing without Suarez, they lost to Costa Rica, who we'll get to in a moment. Colombia, Colombia is most likely to win this without Suarez.
4: Um, I, I agree. I think Suarez, you know, he had the, 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 the what, the, the biting incident, uh, idiotic, and then, uh, FIFA dropped a hammer on him. I think Colombia is definitely all sterling on his ass. Absolutely. I think that, um, uh, now Suarez is something stupid, and now he's going to pay the consequences to that. I think the Uruguayans are going to lose now. Uh, and I think a big reason why will be they will be without Luis Suarez. So I like the Colombians to uh, to advance. How about that?
3: So Colombia will face Brazil, as told by B Flow. We'll swing on now to the next day of games. Those are July 29th or June 29th. And compared to what really happened, compared to the B Flow picks, very very different occurrences of teams that advanced. Well, yep. you had Spain going out. Little did we know, Spain would just collapse against a very good yeah. group. But you got El Tri right, as Mexico will not face Spain, they'll face the Netherlands, the Dutch, hmm. a team that has, I think is leading, I think other than France, is a team that has scored the most goals in this World Cup, won 5-1 against Spain, won 3-2 against Australia, and then won 2-0 against the Chileans, actually, ironically enough. So Netherlands has faced pretty much the best competition they can, and now they face mighty Mexico, who is just so lucky to be alive and advancing, Dropped for originally almost not making qualifying thanks to the United States. Then getting through a group, tying the host nation in Brazil. Mexico feels like they're on top of the world. Could they pull off the upset?
4: Um wait, who is this again? I'm sorry I spaced
3: us <laughs> Mexico and Netherlands. I'll start and say the Netherlands are just gonna absolutely roll over them because they've faced the competition they've faced has been great. And even be uh, chilly without Robin Van Persie because he was on yellow card suspension. But yeah, could Mexico have a case to upset Netherlands?
4: I think Mexico, I was higher than uh, other people were on Mexicans coming into this tournament. I got somewhat vindicated by them advancing out of group play. I've been, I am stunned that Net, the Netherlands, who, uh, as we noted before, were, have were been a complete mess after the 2010 World Cup, Euro play and all that stuff. Qualifying, you know, the Dutch were not great. But I think the Dutch were awesome in group play, and I think they're going to keep that going a little forward against Mexico, and I think they will uh, I think they will advance. I'm going to agree with you. We'll see if that, uh, that's a good call. But I agree with you in the meantime.
3: We've seen it in hockey where a hot goaltender keeps teams alive. Obviously, Jonathan quick it this year at the Kings. Sometimes it does not work in soccer. Uh, Guillermo Ochoa is a very good goalie. He's uh, done his job to get Mexico out of the group. Uh, he will face more firepower against the Dutch and more guys that are willing just to run down the field and score. Netherlands has been a team that SPN Soccer Power Index still does not give them a fair chance of them winning the World Cup. They still have Brazil as the number one team in terms of odds. But the Netherlands team, the Netherlands team single-handedly has the easiest path to the semifinals because Mexico, a good team, but they have, huh. they're not perfect, you know. They ain't no Germany. Yeah. They ain't, you know, they're, not, they're not the best team in the world. Netherlands offensive firepower, too much of the Mexican defense. which features a lot of veterans. And which, you know, physically, this is where you'll see the more, most, who is the most fit, and most athletic. Netherlands advances. Next game, though, the one at 3 o'clock, flow was all over the gap on this one. We had, had Italy facing Ivory Coast, but of course, ironically, both those teams lost their last games
2: the in a chance man to man
3: advance. Um, but, but now the game is Costa Rica, the darling <laughs> of the tournament, against... The Greeks, you know, it's the team I would never guess. Ivory Coast was just seconds away from advancing until a penalty kick in the 94th minute sent the elephants home. Greece is going through. This is a Greece that has played three games and has only scored two goals. And the only time they scored two goals was in that Ivory Coast game. Now they face a Costa Rica team that beat Uruguay 3-1, down the three Lions in England, and stunned the Italians... Do we, is this time we take Costa Rica for
4: real? Uh, I, th- I think we definitely have to. After they really just were so impressive group play, I think I think you can make a case that Greece is been one of the is then you notice they only scored two goals and they only advanced against the the Trail of font by that absolutely atrocious, just disgraceful penalty call. Well, there was no contact
5: on the play. I, mean, I know, contact. right? I mean, the guy just ran was, into him. Yeah, the – what?
3: The guy just yeah, – the, the guy's yeah. fault. you stupid and just ran into
5: the guy.
4: Yeah, but that, that was – yeah, that was such a soft – in my opinion, that was such a soft penalty, but then they they executed the penalty kick so late in the game. I feel awful for uh, the coup de guerre. But I really think Costa Rica is going to win that game because again, Greece, very defensive-minded club, they've struggled to score goals thus far, and I think that uh, I think that Costa Rica, as we've noted, has been so impressive. I think it's ultimately going to get advance out of here and could be could be dangerous going forward.
3: Greece did not face a, a team has, has not faced a team like this before. You know, Ivory Coast is physical and athletic not necessarily dirty but clearly more talent in that group. So uh, they fa I mean they did face Columbia and got the doors blown off of them. But in all fairness, Columbia is was is a great team, as we noted just about two minutes ago. And then Greece they're a team that has slid by and managed to tie and keep games close. The question is if they can do that for 90 minutes. I think they, they'll take this team. I think, they, I think they can take this Costa Rica team to penalties, which is immediately what they're thinking. They're going to play for the tie. Yep. And, of course, on the flip side, you have a very fast team, team with a lot of speedy guys up front, and a team that loves to counter. Will the Greeks allow Costa Rica to do that, though? I say it could be a full long 90 minutes because we have seen many defensive-minded teams get the better edge we saw Iran almost pull off one of the shocks of the tournament by tying Argentina before Messi scored that fantastic goal from outside yeah. the box, but yet they almost pulled it off. And then we saw the Russians almost do that as well, but they then <clears throat> Algeria ended up tying them at the end. So defense really works in strange ways in soccer, especially when it's, it's your sole thing. I can see this game going to penalties, but I think Costa Rica is a little more ambitious because of how well... They've been playing in the tournament, considering they've won the group. That's the only reason why the, the Greeks could even sneak this one is, is Costa Rica is such on such a high for coming out of their group that they don't take a, a medium-mild European team for seriousness. But Costa Rica could easily advance. Next is uh, June 30th, the last day of the month. France against Nigeria is that first game. Flo did have the French. Ironically, I did not in my picks, thinking that this oh. French team was too unorganized, too out of control. Oh. Oh. I had no, had no leadership whatsoever. I was proven wrong, as they are one of the top-scoring teams in the tournament. Blew the doors off a group that had Ecuador, Switzerland, and laughable Honduras. Green Benzo huh. looks like a hero, and they have multiple guys that could easily come in and attack and score. They'll face a Nigeria team that uh, almost refused to train because of monetary reasons, in which we'll get to that story, which is a very funny story in just a moment. France plays Nigeria. Choice. France plays Nigeria. They're too good to uh, to even give Nigeria the time of day, right?
2: Uh,
4: uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. You know, I was somebody that was high on the French. Uh, they had a uh, a new co- a new good coach, I think, and I thought that this team, after the fiasco that was 2010, that I think this team had too much talent that it, it would, I would have been surprised if they ultimately were not able to get out of the, the group stage. And a lot of people did not think they could for some reason. I was high on the French, so I can just take my metaphorical victory lap right But But um, I think the, I think France is definitely going to get past the Nigerian team. I'm surprised that Nigeria was able to get out of group play. Well, hey, this come, you know, a lot of fun times. So I, But I think France will advance out of that one. With relative ease, and I think you can make a strong case that they may have been the most impressive team thus or one of the most certainly one of the most impressive teams thus far in this still young World Cup.
3: And the next group on that later in that day features Demi Schaff of the German national team, a team that pretty much shut us down on Thursday. If he and the team with Thomas Müller, one of the top goal scorers in the tournament, they were able to destroy Portugal, survive Ghana, and beat us. to so it's an Algerian team, which is advancing to the first time since 1982, and there's a lot of weird, there's a lot of interesting stories behind this. Apparently 1982, back when before the World Cup was 32 teams old, or 32 teams in the, in the tournament. What, what it was, was Asia, Africa, and Oceania was all one group. And so, may, amazingly, Algeria advanced to the World Cup and in-group play. And this was before what FIFA does now. And fans, what you might have noticed is the two games going on at the same time. It's like, why is this? It's completely, it's completely throwing off my schedule of watching games simultaneously. There's a good reason yeah. for that. It's because FIFA is trying to fix match manipulation. And Algeria has been one of the biggest case studies behind that. Because in 1982, Austria won and advanced. On all, West, all West Germany had to do was win 1-0, and they would have enough points to go through and see. You know what? When they played little Algeria, that is exactly what they did because they knew what was at stake, and it was outcry in Algeria, and apparently they still had beef with them since. Algeria is a very uh, under, underestimated team. Surprised the world, by winning 3-1 against South Korea and tying Russia to advance to the knockout stage but Flo, that will not be the case, because this German team is probably one of the best teams I have seen. Now that Spain's out of the tournament, they're the new number ones. How It's only a matter of how much they will destroy Algeria.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think Algeria uh, is definitely – they've been playing a little over their heads. Uh, the uh, the and all. The uh, the next Foxes is their nickname, so how about that? I think Algeria is probably going to get the doors blown off then team that played a little uh above their heads. I and mean, you know, what? they they deserve to get uh, out of uh get a get group play, but you are correct. They are they're gonna get smoked by this uh German team and uh yeah, you know what? I think it's gonna be a game where Algeria is gonna be, a, hey, we're just happy to be here. Uh just don't kill any of our players and that's that. All, All right, four, and then, four, then four, July yeah. first Yeah,
3: and then July first. Uh, faces, uh, features Flo's boy Leo Messi Taking on Switzerland Argent, uh, Argentina Well, Flo had Argentina Facing Ecuador And strangely enough The Belgians taking on Portugal But we'll get to that last final game in just a second Leo Messi has proven to Literally carry this team on his back and several occasions this In the group play He has basically scored the winning goal to lead Argentina, and that's pretty much been it. The defense, defensively, it's almost like nobody knows who they are, who's their defense, who's their goalie. Switzerland, though, is a team, even though they got killed by France, they managed, they managed to weather the storm against an Ecuador team to win in their very first World Cup match, and then they dropped three on the Hondurans, so they have faced a similar opponent like Argentina, but is Messi just that good to lead Argentina to the quarterfinals?
4: Uh, I think he is. I think this is uh, Lionel Messi's time. He was my pick to be the uh, the uh, the, uh, the MVP, if you will, of this tournament and get the Golden Boot Award. Uh, I think this is, is trying to solidify himself as the greatest player in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is definitely a prime opportunity to where now, if you look at who they have to run through, uh, I think they're going to beat Switzerland. Switch is a good team. They're better than I thought they were after they played literally nobody in qualifying. But if you look at Argentina, you can make a solid case that things are starting to warm up for them to get to Rio and play for the championship. And I think Lionel Messi hey, is going to be a good And I think Lionel Messi is the guy that will lead him and get to the final. And we'll see what happens then. But I like Argentina here.
3: So I was running the table with Argentina being Switzerland. If Switzerland is, it's almost like the Greece-Costa Rica game. If defense prevails, because the Swiss now know what Iran did, all they have to do is just hack the back. But unlike what Iran had, they can go forward. We have seen it. They've scored three goals against Honduras. Like, quote, our good friend Lee Corso, closer than the experts think, in which exactly. Switzerland could give Argentina a game, a game that could go into extra time. The uh, the uh, As you could say, overtime could be a 1-1 tie. But home field advantage, I don't think Switzerland realizes. And that's because I think Greece, I don't think they realize how powerful home field advantage is in, in the World Cup, especially with screaming. South Americans and Argentinians is ironically enough every game Argentina has played has somehow been within two hours driving distance and that will be just the case Argentina has enough. We get to our final game July 1st at 3 p.m. Central Time ladies and gentlemen 4 o'clock Eastern Time. Belgium was a team that made it out of their group with wins but ironically every goal was scored 65 minutes past. So they were tested against South Korea, and actually, the guy got sent off against South Korea, and again, that really meant nothing. They were tested against Algeria. Algeria actually scored on a penalty before the Belgians were able to score two goals, and then the Russians were able to almost give Belgium a run for their money. And who of all teams does the Belgians face when they take the field next Tuesday? Our very own
5: USA. Many doubted. Jürgen, <laughs> many doubted Jurgen. Many
3: doubted Jurgen Klinsmann, entering this World Cup, saying he couldn't do it. Even the notorious Ben Florence had Portugal advancing, as Garner takes his victory lap, saying, "You know, he had some faith that the United States was able to win that first game." And manage a point out of Portugal, they could do it. That's a loss to Germany, but a helpful win from Portugal helped the United States through. And as we mentioned, this is a United States team that we haven't even seen play their best soccer yet. United States, though, questionable if Josie Alcador will return, because ever since he has been gone, it seems like the United States has been in a little bit of a rut knowing what they can do offensively. But Belgium is not Germany. The United States has pretty much faced their best opponent in the tournament without going as far as the quarterfinals and the semifinals. It is a time for the Stars and Stripes to shine or Belgium, as many are saying, the dark horses of the tournament and the overwhelming red, white, and blue euphoria.
4: I think it's going to be... uh, You know what? What this US team has done and surprised everybody by getting out of group play on its own? You know what? Why the hell not? I am picking, and I know actually I think I said earlier in the show that Belgium will win this match. But you know what? Screw it, USA! Let's go. We're gonna advance. And then we're gonna play Argentina, and then uh, and then that will be that. But uh, I, you know what? I I ain't gonna pick the United States here. How about some national pride, eh? I uh, know, right?
3: I could do the United States. It ought to be. I think mean, mean, the say it's when the moon is planned, the planets align.
2: But all the on yeah. the
3: United States plays, and yes, they play the very last game of group play, which is how I that FIFA made it so. And yes, it's their limelight, knowing that we can end the round of 16 with the United States either winning or losing. Now, first of all, USA fans should just be happy that they're in this situation, because we could say we're among the 16 best teams in the world, and rightfully so, because a lot of the teams that are even in this round of 16, the United States is better. I mean, we beat Nigeria... We're not, We're better than Algeria, we're better than Algeria, better than Greece. We beat Costa Rica. We beat Mexico. So therefore, we're on the top ten best teams in the world. Belgium, on the other hand, we faced them long once. Once upon a time, in Cleveland, Ohio, at, at, uh, at Cleveland Brown Stadium, in a friendly. And while the score sheet did say four to two, if you look at that halftime score sheet, it said one one. The United States took a team of very talented individuals. And, of course, not even our World Cup team. I don't think we, we didn't have Fabian Johnson. The only guys on that team that we have taking them on Tuesday is Dempsey, Bradley, Jeff Cameron, Tim Howard, and I think DeMarcus Beasley. And that's it. And maybe Jermaine Jones. I don't think Jermaine Jones played, but I think he was hurt. That being said, we played the Belgium to a 1-1 tie, and we even gave an awful goal. This is a team, an American team, that has gelled in a really weird way because we have a lot of secret weapons. And Jürgen Klinsmann now two games under his belt without Josie Alcidor. Things finally should click for the United States, because they attack, which we saw Algeria do against Belgium. We, and, we don't, and the only time we saw South Korea and Russia do it was when they were trailing. The United States has proven they're a team that can score early, and, um, and sometimes often, depending on what game it is. But for USA to win, we need to. We have, we have to score in the first half, have to score early, but we have to control the midfield. For some reason, Michael Bradley has played three games and has, pr- has played pretty poorly for World Cup standards. The, the four best players on this United States team, obviously Tim Howard, because this guy is a brick wall and has kept us in a lot of games. I mean, a lot of games. I mean, if it wasn't for him, we would have been killed by Germany and we probably would have lost against Portugal. In going to descending up to attacking position, it has to be uh, one of the defenders, and that is Fabian Johnson. We would say Jeff Cameron, but of course if it wasn't for Jeff Cameron's bad kick, we actually would have beaten Portugal. Fabian Johnson has done something that many U.S. defenders have not done in the past, which is attack and move forward. March down the field like a finely tuned spread Oregon option offense. Which the, this guy is running down the flanks, he's getting involved. It's almost like he wants to get involved. Next is Jermaine Jones, another German player, and he is a guy that is is apparently has broken his nose as well. He Broke his nose in the Germany game. This guy is a, is a bulldog in the fact that he will go into the tackles, and we saw a great goal scored by him against Portugal. So he's proven to score. And then obviously the next the fourth best is our, obviously our captain Clint Dempsey. We have such a there's such firepower, I guess, a Belgian defense that isn't very good. They have some key good guys, but, you know, as a, you know, Vincent Company is probably their best player on defense. But other than that, you know, a lot of questions for Belgium. This is a team that many had very high expectations for it, but yet they did not live up to expectations. USA had low expectations and now we are living up to high expectations. If USA can easily, if USA can, I think this is a game where the USA blows the doors off someone and it has to win, like, 2-1, 3 to
2: 1.
3: <laughs> USA could advance. But of course, More I will play devil's advocate in saying this is a Belgian team that has been very shocked that they have played poorly in group play and could easily take all their stuff out and end the little pipe dream of the Americans and just and just dominate us with their with their fast midfield and forwards. That being said, our defense has to be 100% on and clicking. Michael Bradley has to show up. Cuz all the all the keys are there. Jurgen Klopp has done something that Many have not, which is believe in the dream and motivating these 23 misfits, as a lot of outlets have called them, New York Times, saying we couldn't do it. Hey, you know what? This is the time the United States just says, you know what? We're going to go all out and do it. And I think the United States could win this game because of all the big teams that we could have faced, I'd rather have Belgium. I mean, of course, I would love to play Algeria if we would have won the group. But, you know, hey, we face Germany, and we can only get better if we get rest. We're not playing in the Amazon. We're not playing in the rain. All odds are against us, and now we have a chance to rest up and play. That being said, we'll go full swing because apparently, according to the World Cup brackets, the next time that Fnatic Radio could be on is our uh, very uh, patriotic holiday of July 4th. So then, from there, we'll have some semifinal games, as those are the fourth and fifth next weekend. But uh, two funny stories I want to say before we before we uh, sign off the air. Yes. The first one we mentioned Nigeria, as they refused to train because they needed money. And so what it basically is is a lot of federations have bonus money if you make if you play in the World Cup. Definitely so. You know, apply from the federations and the nations for awarding your 23 men, for doing battle, representing your countries with pride, and going into the World Cup. But unfortunately for Nigeria, as they almost went on strike to train, considering they're in the round of 16 and need to focus on training to do something against the French, eventually their money was, was set out. Cameroon was another team, and now it all makes sense of why they played so poorly and became really the second team to not win, or third team to not win a single game or get a p- single point in group play, the other two, poor Australia, who faced probably some of the best out there right now, and Honduras, who just stunk, and they were ironically in France's group. The third team, though, that did not do this was uh, the team the United States actually played was Ghana. So in a span of 48 hours, here is Michael Gardner's rendition of the Ghanaian disaster in the World Cup. So they needed their bonus money as well. Of course, the Ghana players went almost as far as saying, we refuse to play in the Portugal game if we don't get our money. So what did Ghana do? They flew over $3 million to Brazil to make sure these players were played. They got their money. They're happy. They should go out and try to get a win. Because I think, frankly, if Ghana would have won that game, with the result the United States had, the U.S. would not be going through. Ghana would actually be playing Belgium because of the goal differential. So what are they going to do? How do they get ready? Well, the entire team implodes. Their two best players, Sully Montari, a defender, and Kevin Prince Boatang were sent home before the Portugal game because Sully Montari apparently got into a physical altercation with Ghana's FIFA representative during practice, and Prince Boateng was sent home packing because he got in a verbal fight with his coach. So in a game that Ghana needed to win and needed to play well, Two of their best players were sent home, and ironically, our good friend Malcolm Barber sent me a photo he found on Prince Boateng's Facebook page, his fan page. We had both those players together in a photo, chilling on a beach on the day they lost to Portugal. So, kids, lesson of the day, don't get in fights (laughs) at practice, and don't yell at your coach, especially on the eve of probably one of the most important games in your national team's history, because... Now, a lot of these golf players are old, and much like we saw from Ivory Coast. It's probably the last time we'll see those guys play in the World Cup. Second one was, shout-out to our good friend Tony Kornheiser and his Tony Kornheiser show. As a frequent guest is our boy David Aldridge, who is always on, and we, we want to give a round of applause for him working on the front lines during Turner's coverage of the NBA playoffs, doing his thing. He had a funny story, and this is what I said at the top of the hour of what how David Aldridge and I have something in common. Ironically enough, for those of you that got the holiday Christmas card a few years ago, you noticed Claude the Eagle. This is when it was outside, not at night or whatever the the stupid thing we did this year. Two years ago, we did it outside, and we had this giant card where people could walk up and sign. For those of you that watched Claude the Eagle, I will admit, Michael Gardner was chosen not by choice, to be Claude the Eagle that day. Yeah. The story, behind, the story behind that was I walked into the yeah. office when I worked at AU Athletics, and they said, we have, and then my boss said, we got to go outside because AU Athletics has to do their little 10-second promo back when Keith Gill was athletics Director. So, obviously, who they, who's the first person they turn to? The lowly intern, Michael Gardner, to be Claude the Eagle. And where the story goes off, where the family... When they did it, they left because I had to stay for a few months until my office hours were finished. The so only problem was I was out there for about two and a half hours. And, and of course, I'm Claude the Eagle because I can't break character. I can't speak, so I can't tell anyone I need to leave. And, of course, every time I tried to walk away, people were like, oh, we want your picture with you. Can we have the, can we have the mascot in the, the shot with us? So I was out there for two and a half hours in the freezing cold. In a sweaty uniform, I stunk like a dog, and I was never caught the eagle again. And so here's from the Tony Kornheiser show showing how David Aldridge and I are connected via a mascot.
0: Would you do it? Yeah. I have done it, Joe. You did? You have? <laughs> you have? have? Mm. What were president? you? No, I wasn't a president. I was Uncle Sam in 1984.
5: <laughs> really? <laughs> Where are, you? are you for
0: whom? Um, well, this is a very convoluted story, but... Um, Ninth, uh, when I was at American University, the sports information director at American University, also, was doing working for the United States Olympic Committee. He was doing stuff for them. Cause oh, of, in L. A. Well, in LA. he was doing stuff here in D. C. Because they had events all over the country. Yes, because yes, the Olympics were going to be in L. A. That's year. right. That's right. So they had all I, kinds I like of to events. refer to them the Junior Olympics. <laughs> and junior. Yeah. I have a great Junior story about. He wasn't live on TV at yeah, the time. No, 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 that was much later. <laughs> that was much later. So anyway, I so I was in college, and he said, "You want to make." I don't know, what it was, 100 bucks or something, which when you're in college is drinking yeah, money, right? yeah. So, so I said, sure. So I dressed up as Sam the Eagle and went around. I was at the store somewhere. I think it was the Sears on Wisconsin Avenue, as a matter of fact. So I did that for a couple of days. That was fun. But you didn't run around a track. I did not run around a track. So
3: there you go. David Aldridge was Sam the Eagle for the Olympics <laughs> awesome. at a Sears in which basically what they were doing was talking about how Tim Kirchin dressed up as one of the sausages for the sausage race at the Brewers game.
4: Yeah. And way. so,
3: that is a happy note to end on. And any other final shout-outs, Flo? Uh,
4: you know, I'm going to give a good, a good shout-out to one of my great friends, Jeffy, uh, Mike, you know, I'm talking about Mr. Jeff Paul. He's been over the last month in Italy. Uh, doing some abroad study abroad, some kind of action. I'm not entirely sure what, but he's coming back to the states this weekend. I will see him next weekend. Um, and so uh, he's been engaging on all kinds of shenanigans across the pond, some of which I probably can't repeat. Actually, most of it I probably can't repeat.
2: He's
4: not a wild and crazy guy, like you know, like the two of us are. But he's back in the states this weekend, so I just want to uh, uh, welcome him back. State from uh, from,
5: uh, you know, only the greatest radio show in
3: America. That I know. So uh, join us next week. As an executive decision, might as well. We have a special 4th of July episode next Friday. As ironically, it's where the calendar falls. We'll be back on 4 to 5. Gary Williams will join us again for the final concluding part two of his Hall of Fame Maryland coaching Uh, special that we have. We actually will get to our course Ian EMLUTs next week and also we'll preview the World Cup quarterfinals. Hopefully the USA can make it. Their game is on Tuesday, but check out the podcast on iTunes, on BFlo360 and blogtalkradio.com slash radio For the notorious Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next week on 4th of July.